greatest peace you can ever know in your life is knowing that you're right with God. The greatest peace you can ever know is knowing that you are in alignment with God, that you're going His direction, you're pursuing Him with everything you have. I want to go to the Word of the Lord this evening and turn your attention to Psalm 120. And I want to follow up what I ministered here in the sanctuary on Sunday morning. This past Sunday morning, I preached about when you repent. When you repent. And I want to follow that up this evening. I want to talk about repentance a little bit more. Because I, I really believe that's true. The greatest peace you will ever know is knowing that you are repented, that things are right between you and God. There's nothing else like it. Sometimes we don't talk about it quite enough, how important it is to be pursuing Him. Psalm 120 in the New King James Version. This is a song of ascent. It's a very honest song. You're going to notice that immediately. It's very honest says this in verse 1, in my distress I cried to the Lord and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me that I dwell in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Let me read those last three verses in a, in a very, in a paraphrase translation. It says, I'm doomed to live in Meshech and cursed with a home in Kedar. My whole life lived camping among quarreling neighbors. I'm all for peace, but the minute that I tell them so, they go to war. You may be seated. I'm going to talk this evening uh, as a follow-up from what I ministered Sunday morning. I want to minister tonight about the elements of repentance. The elements of repentance. There's something special that happens when we repent. I spent some time ministering on Sunday morning describing that. There's just something supernatural, something shifts in our life whenever we truly make a heartfelt repentance and we turn away from the things of sin in this world and we instead make a turn toward the things of God. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12 says, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more describes what happens and what God does whenever we truly repent and we ask for forgiveness. The word of the Lord says there in that scripture in Hebrews chapter 8 verse 12, God says, I will remember them no more. Sometimes we can say that God forgets our sin and I, I would say that's probably not entirely accurate. There's a difference between forgetting and not remembering. There's a difference. It's the same, how many know the difference when you're in a court of law and they say there's a, there's a difference between uh, innocent and not guilty? 
They're not the same thing. Not guilty just means they didn't have the proof to convict you. They're not the same. And so you might say, well, we're just splitting hairs. It's just semantics. No, it's, it's far more than that. When God says, I'm not going to remember your sin anymore, it's not as though we accidentally forgot it. It's a choice on God's part to say, you know what, you've repented, your sins have been forgiven, and I'm not going to remember, I'm not going to call them up to remembrance anymore. It's not as though he accidentally forgot them and just hadn't thought about them in a while. It's more that he willfully said, I'm not going to remember them anymore. That's the kind of God that we serve. And I'm only bringing that up to tell you that that is the kind, that's his character. That's how much he loves you. He's not a forgetful God, but he's a loving God who says, I'm not going to remember their trespasses anymore. That's what happens when we repent. Thank God that he will forgive us when we ask for forgiveness. The scriptures teach us that whenever we ask for forgiveness, God is faithful and just to forgive us. He does not remember our sins any longer. Psalm 120 tells us something important about repentance. And the reason that I felt to start there tonight is simply to ask this question. Where does repentance start? Why is repentance sometimes neglected and avoided and cast off to the side? The reason is repentance never starts in a happy place. We like happy things. We like happy places. Repentance, as positive as repentance is and as necessary as repentance is, repentance never starts at a happy place. Psalm 120 is a song of ascent. It's one of those songs that they would sing when they were on their way making a pilgrimage up to Jerusalem to worship. They were leaving one place and they were going another place. It's a song that is tied in with every word to the direction that they were going. That's what repentance is all about. Repentance is about the direction you are going. When we repent of our sins, we are turning away from our sins and we're going toward God. And this is a song of ascent. This is a song that was sung, that was sung with a particular direction in mind. They would sing it on their way to worship in Jerusalem. They didn't like where they were, and so they decided to go somewhere else. The very, very first verse in this psalm starts off, I said a moment ago, it's a very honest song. They said, God, I'm in trouble. I cried out in my distress. And then in verse 5, they said, I'm doomed to live in this one place. I feel like I'm tied up and anchored down in this place that I don't want to be. But hear me, as they said those words, there was some action that was going on already. They were singing a song about where they didn't want to be, but they weren't, they weren't in park while they did it. They were singing about where they didn't want to be anymore and what their current situation may have looked like. But while they were yet saying the words to that song, they were already marching to the place that they were going to go. They were already on the direction and on the path towards the city of God, the place where they were going to meet with God and be in the presence of God and worship 
him. Sometimes it can get easy to get stuck in the complaint of where we are. We're just going to be honest. Let's be as honest. This is an honest song that we read. Let's just be as honest as the song. Can we do that tonight? Let's just match our honesty with the honesty that the, guy, that the man wrote the song with. Sometimes it's easier to get stuck in the complaint than to actually take steps the direction we need to be going. Psalm 120, there is a sincere complaint. There's a grievance. There's a problem. They say, God, I'm in trouble. And sometimes it's easy to get locked into that place where we are verbalizing that kind of sentiment and forget about the change of direction and the forward motion that we need to be making when we are ascending to the place that God has prepared for us. Your recognition that things are broken in life and in this world ought to move us to the place where we are traveling to a new place in life. If you don't like the way that the world is looking, get separated from the world. Live different than the world. If you don't like the way that the world is going and the way that the adversary is running the world around us, then it's time to start to talk different and start to behave different and start to dress different and take every part of God's word and radically apply it to every part of your life. It's all right to have a song about what's going wrong as long as you're actively marching and repented towards what God wants you to go towards. The scriptures tell us that repentance doesn't begin when everything is peaceful, but it can march you out of the land of defeat and into the will of God when we repent. Let me talk to the person right now just for a moment. You're having trouble seeing the light. Bishop's been ministering. We've had a powerful time of prayer, and you're having difficulty seeing the light. You're facing difficulties. You have temptations that are piling up. You've got trials that you're actively fighting against the power of sin in your life, and you're fighting against strongholds. And maybe the words of verse 5 of Psalm 120 ring true for you and your spirit a little bit when the psalmist wrote and said, I'm doomed to live in Meshach. And I'm cursed to have a house in Kedar. These were places that were far, far away from Jerusalem. One of them was way far north in a wasteland. And the other one was way far south in another type of wasteland. Far from home. Hostile territory. Places where there were quarrelsome people that were disagreeable to the ways of God. But I want to tell you today, even though you may feel that way. I've talked recently about how feelings can lead us astray. Even though you may feel that way. Your life can actually be going a different direction. You can be free from the bondage of sin. Hear me right now. You can be free from the bondage of sin. You can be free from the trial that you're walking through. You don't have to become what you've been through. You can be who God says that you are. You can go to the place that God says that he's taken you. And in the middle of your honest song of what you don't want to be about and how you don't like where you are and what's going on around you, you can be marching toward Jerusalem, towards the city of God and the presence of God. Can I tell you today, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. There is a way of repentance, at least it claims to be repentance, 
that is very palatable to you and me. But it's not real repentance. It's not true, full repentance. There is a way that seems right, that seems like it gets the job done in the eyes of man. And sometimes it, start, it stops in the complaint and never actually gets to Jerusalem. But there is a way to truly repent and follow God. Hear me tonight. It's not necessarily what our flesh would prefer. But there is a true and complete way to repent and follow God faithfully. I want to teach for a few minutes tonight what the word of the Lord says about the elements of repentance. And I believe it will help somebody. The first element of repentance, and this is going to be easy to remember if you're a note taker. This is going to be easy to remember. The first element of repentance is confession. Confession. I'm going, to revert, I'm going to refer back to Psalm 51. If you've got your Bible, you can open up to Psalm 51. And it's where I preached from Sunday morning. I'm just going to refer back to there and tag in on a couple spots to prove to you from Scripture that there are some elements to repentance, that we have to go all the way with repentance. And if we will do it, God will lead us out of the place that we're at, and he will lead us to a place that he wants to take us. The first element that I want to call your attention to is confession. Psalm 51, verses 3 through 6 The psalmist David wrote, you're going to remember from Sunday morning if you were here, for I acknowledge my transgressions, my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin, my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part you make me to know wisdom. Acknowledgement is what's key to confession. And David says the word in Psalm 51, verse 3. He actually says the word to acknowledge. Confession takes place in two places, your mind and your mouth. Your mind and your mouth. In your mind, it's you saying and acknowledging mentally, I know I am not right. I know things are not the way they should be between me and God. And then, hear me, this is so important. It has to travel from your mind to your mouth. And, why, and when I say that, here's what I mean. It's not enough just to think it. It must travel to your mouth, and it has to come out in the form of words that say, I am not right. That's what it is to confess. And we confess first in our mind and then with our mouth. And it's the acknowledgement of a painful reality. Hear me that you've been lied to. The world has lied to you. The adversary has lied to you. Maybe you've even lied to yourself. This is when, when, it, when, when we confess with our mind and with our mouth that I've, I've gotten tangled up in sin, I'm not where I need to be with God, even if it's just one area of your life, one compartment of your life, it's painful, there's something that's going wrong, it's not what it needs to be, and I need to submit it to God. It is the reality of our condition, and whenever it reaches our deepest parts, it's going to be acknowledged, it's going to be confessed in our mind and in our mouth. And until you're willing to say it, I've, I have trouble being convinced that repentance is going to be real until I can hear, until, and I'm not the judge, but when somebody says it, if somebody's having trouble saying the words, Brother Burke, I have trouble feeling like we can go forward with repentance. 
I have trouble feeling like it's that their sin is that our that what we've got broken in our life is is grieving us enough to where it's going to propel us into everything that God would have us to do. I've heard a lot of people acknowledge even and say, you know, I'm not doing right. I know I'm not doing right. I know I'm not where I should be. There's a story, and this is gonna this is gonna carry us. This is gonna carry us on. There's a story of you know the steamboats on the Mississippi. They would, a lot of times they would have a whistle, and there's there's a story of these steamboats that would have this very loud, very big whistle that would go off, and but the steamboat would didn't really do a lot of moving. And sometimes we get to the place even here where where there's a, there's a big acknowledgement. I've heard people even say. Brother Dustin, I know I'm not where I need to be with God. I know I haven't been, I haven't been to church. I'm not doing right. I, I know I, I need to make things right with God. But then that's where it stops. And while I commend the acknowledgement and the confession, it's like one of those steamboats with a big whistle and with no, really no movement. It, the steamboats are built to move on down the river, not just to sit in one place and whistle real loud and so we have to start with confession in our mind and in our mouth but it's not simply enough to confess and then do nothing I said it on Sunday morning God cares about your inner life each and every one of us has an inner life every single one of us has an inner world that no one else has access to but you and if you'll let God God will have access to it And God wants access to that inner life. He wants to change you from the inside out. Hear me. Repentance is not just about behavior modification. The first place that God wants to be is inside you. God wants to be in that inner world. That's where the change starts to take place. And it starts when we are able to confess with our mind and with our mouth. And this dimension, this element of repentance is so important because God cares about that inner territory of your life. I'm so glad that, it, that this doesn't flow the other direction and God say, listen, Dustin, you got to get everything right on the outside and then I'll start working on the inside. I'd never make it. I'd never make it and neither would you. I'm so glad that he decides to start on the inside. But listen, the word that we, the element that we can call that is the element of confession. It starts in our mind and our mouth. It has, there has to be a work inside of us where we are grieved about the condition that we're in And we start to confess it with our mind and our mouth and we say it out loud and we get to the point when that happens, we open up the door for the next element of what God wants to do. And that's contrition. The second element of repentance that I want to call your attention to is contrition. This is a, these these are the elements of a complete work of repentance. I don't want to go, God went all the way for me. I want to go all the way with him. The second element after we confess is contrition. And this happens in our emotions and in our expressions. Psalm 51, verse 17. Here's we're going back to the same place in the word of the Lord, the same psalm. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. The spirit and the heart are the words that are, that are said in verse 17. The, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. There's some things in our life, there's sin issues even in our life that need to be dealt with at the heart level. I said the heart level. 
It means that we have to, as powerful as it is for the mind to acknowledge factually, I'm not right with God, and for the mouth to even confess it, there are, we, have got, we, have, we must allow this to get the 18 inches from our mind to our heart. What, what do I mean? I, I, I understand. I took anatomy too. The heart actually just, Brother Ryan, beats our, our blood around our body. But I, when I say heart, you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the seat of your emotions. I'm talking about the seat of your personality and not just your computer of a brain that can do two plus two equals four. I'm talking about who you are as a person. What makes you tick? Your emotions, your personality, that part of you that is uniquely you. That's the part that this process has to reach. It is the part where our emotions and our expressions come into play. And the word that I would describe in the element would be the element of contrition. We are emotional creatures. We're capable of complex emotions. It's what separates us from the animals. An animal might have regret if it does something dumb and gets punished for it, but human beings are capable of complex emotions, emotions that are tied to things of the past and even things of the present and the future. This is something that God put inside of each and every one of us. And repentance, in order for it to be a complete work, has, it must reach that level. It must get down into the deepest part of who we are. I'm reminded, and I said it on Sunday morning, I'm going to read it in your hearing this evening, of the two individuals in the book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 1. Ruth chapter 1, verse 11. This is the New Living Translation. Ruth chapter 1, verse 11 says, Naomi replied, this is the mother-in-law, Naomi replied, why should you go on with me? She's talking to her two daughters-in-law. Can I still give birth to other sons who could grow up to be your husbands? No, my daughters. Return to your parents' homes, for I'm too old to marry again. And even if it were possible, and I were to get married tonight and bear sons, then what? Would you wait for them to grow up and refuse to marry someone else all that time? She said, no, of course not, my daughters. Things are far, far more bitter for me than for you. Because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Naomi's painting the picture for him and said, you don't need to connect yourself to me. And once again, they wept together. And Orpah, one of her daughter-in-laws, kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. They wept together. They had a good cry together. But Ruth clung tightly to Naomi. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. You should do the same thing, Ruth. But Ruth replied and said, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate you and me. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. I don't want to skip over it too quickly because I want you to understand that it is crucial that our emotions and our expressions be involved in repentance. There has to be a true act of repentance, of contrition. Our heart needs to be broken for the things that break God's heart. We need to be upset that we have sinned against God. We need to be upset that we've been out of alignment with Him. But after we have confessed, and after we have presented ourselves to God with a contrite heart and a broken spirit, 
And all of the, those levels have been reached and those elements have been activated in repentance. There is yet another element that must happen. And we saw it in Ruth chapter 1. We saw element number two, which was contrition. It was the activation of the emotions and the expressions. You saw it in Orpah and Ruth as they clung, as they held on to Naomi. And they had a good cry and they wept and they said words and, 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 and there was that emotional response to what was happening right then. But then you saw Ruth wasn't content just to cry the tears. Ruth wasn't content just to let the emotions get involved. Even though it was necessary and even though the moment called for it, Ruth wasn't content just to stop there. But she was going to go the full measure of distance and become a different person and allow God to do a complete work in her life. And that's why Ruth symbolizes and represents the third element of repentance, and that's the element of change. Change. Change doesn't involve like contrition. Contrition involves our emotions and our expressions, and that is so important and so necessary. But change takes it a step further and completes the work of repentance in our life because it involves our will and our works. Our will and our works. Here's how it, here's how it affects your will. Psalm 51 verse 16. New Living Translation says this. Psalmist is speaking to God. You don't desire a sacrifice or else I would offer one. Here, the psalmist is saying, you know, my will and my natural response is that I'll just, I'll just offer a sacrifice to you. But God, I'm at the place in my repentance where I realize maybe what I want isn't what you want. That's when the will gets involved. It's when we get to the place in repentance where we've confessed with our mind and our mouth and we've been contrite with our emotions and our expressions. And finally, we reach the place where we cry out to God and say, God, what would you have me to do? It's the same thing that Jesus did when he was getting, preparing to go to Calvary. He wasn't repenting from sin, but he was getting himself into full alignment with the will of the Father. And he said, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. It's when his will subjugated itself to the will of the Father. And that's where we must get to as well. We must reach the place where we go beyond emotions and we go beyond expressions. And we, we, like Ruth, cling. We cling to God. And we say, God, Jesus, wherever you're going, I'm going to go. Wherever you take me, I'm going to follow. Whatever you teach me to become, I want to become that. And only let death stand in the way of me living for you. When you start to be cognizant of what God wants, it changes your will. And all of a sudden, your will and your ego is not number one anymore. But it's about, Lord, what would you have me to do? No longer are you fixated on what you want and getting it your way. But you're saying, there's been a change that's happening in my life. I've acknowledged it with confession I've acknowledged it with my emotions and my contrition and my brokenheartedness, and now I'm willing to hand over my will 
to God because there's been a change and I want to do it God's way. I don't want to do it my way anymore. Now I want to do it God's way. God, if you wanted a sacrifice, I would give it to you. But that's not what you really want, said the psalmist. The psalmist said what Bishop said a moment ago. God wanted him. And so it is with every single one of us. God wants you. He wants you and he wants all of you. That's what repentance is all about. Repentance is about restoring your connection with God. And God, listen, hear me. God doesn't want your talents. God doesn't want your abilities. He, does, he wants you for you. He didn't orchestrate the plan of salvation. He doesn't give us a chance to get things right with him so that he can access the vast wealth of your talents and abilities or whatever else you've got going on in life that you think you can bring to the table. That's not the purpose of God. God just wants you. He wants you. He wants a relationship, a communion, a connection with you is what he prizes the most. And when you become fully aligned with God, this is the point where your prayer of repentance, it goes beyond the tears. It even goes beyond the acknowledgement and the confession. And it says, it repeats, it echoes those words of our Savior. Father, if you're willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done. Not mine, not my will, but your will. When we get to that place, the final act of the final piece of repentance can slide into place, and that's when it gets involved in our works. There needs to be a complete process, a complete act of repentance in our lives, and for there to be a total work of repentance in our lives, the final element has to develop and be acted upon. And here's how it manifested in the life of David in Psalm 51. We've, we've been in there, and I'm going to keep drawing our attention back to there because it's just a good, uh, it's a good model for repentance. Psalm 51, verse 13. Here's where David's works get involved. He says, then I will, he says, after there's been a forgiveness, after I've turned my life towards you, after you've done some works in my life, I've expressed it, I've acknowledged it, my emotions are involved, I'm all in on this, God, and, and, and my will is involved. My will is, is, is submitted and yielded to your will, oh God. I don't want what I want. I want what you want. Here's where it leads him at. He says, then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. This is when, we, when our repentance brings us to the heart of God. God loves people. God wants people to be saved, and God would have each one of us be a witness to them of his goodness. Here's what it is. Instead of pursuing my own desires and my own ambitions, my number one ambition, my number one goal and desire is to pursue the things that God wants. This is where it moves from the intangible to the tangible. This is where change takes place. We've talked about confession and contrition. This is change. This is God what you're doing on the inside of me has to explode out into the outside of who I am. It has to take control of my actions. My habits are going to change. My routines are going to change. My purpose and what I'm most focused on in life is about to change, God. This is where repentance goes from being that intangible that happens in our mind or our mouth 
or maybe in our heart, the seat of our emotions, and it finally bursts out and becomes part of how God changes our life. How many, how many know what it's like to have some parts of your life changed by God? Some of the habits broken. I'm talking about some of the strongholds that used to exist in your life. Some of the ways you used to do things. Some of the ways you used to talk. Some of the things you used to devote all your time and attention and money to. And over the course of time, living a repented life, you get the full measure of repentance working. And God starts doing things, not just in your will, but finally in your works. This is what, this is the full measure of of repentance. These are the elements of repentance. And if we would have God do a mighty work in our life, if we would have God truly change us, not just in intangible ways that no one can see, but in tangible ways that are felt by those people who are closest to us and even noticed by we ourselves, we would see what the word of the Lord says about repentance. Repentance. I think about Saul of Tarsus, he was a, we would call him a terrorist. We'd call him a terrorist. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was roaming the countryside from city to city, village to village, and he had warrants, he had, he had acquired warrants for the arrest of Christians, blasphemers. And he was going around and collecting them up and hauling them to a prison. And then one day on the road to a city to do more of that, he was on his way to a city called Damascus. Saul of Tarsus had an encounter with Jesus. And there was a complete work of repentance in his life. Everything that I've just described to you from the word of the Lord this evening, it happened in Saul of Tarsus's life. I know it was a complete work and not a partial work. I know that he let it run its full course in his life because the man who had once been a terrorist, the man who was a persecutor of Christians, who was actively against everything God was doing in his world, I know there was a full repentance because there were tangible outcomes. I don't know what was happening in Saul's emotions. I don't I'm not a mind reader, and I don't have a record of what was happening in Saul's mind beyond what the Scripture tells us was happening. I don't know any of those things, but here's what I do know, and here's how I recognize that God did a work of repentance in Saul's life that he, that he, uh, that he launched himself into, and he followed after God. There were tangible outcomes. There were changes in Saul's life. Hear me. His works changed. His actions changed. Saul stopped persecuting Christians, and he started sharing the gospel, and he started sharing his testimony, and he started being involved in ministry, and he started churches, and he started actively involving himself in the things of the kingdom of God. It was a turnaround. Brother Burke, it was a change in Saul's life, so much so that he had to shed his former identity and started to be called and known as Paul, the apostle Paul. No longer was he known as Saul of Tarsus, but he underwent such an obvious change in the way that he was living his life that no one could honestly call him what he used to be. He was a brand new person. I think that's what the Lord meant 
when he said in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, he says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. Here's what another translation says. Prove by the way that you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. That's what I want to do, amen? Stand with me all over this room right now. I've been teaching tonight, and I've had a twofold purpose in teaching tonight. Number one, I hope that the Holy Ghost has helped somebody because the Holy Ghost wants to help you change. Hear me. The Holy Ghost is all about the end game. It's not enough just that we confess. It's not enough just that we are contrite and brokenhearted. God doesn't want to leave you in that place. Hear me right now. God doesn't want to leave you in that. If you, if you, don't, if you don't advance beyond the contrition and the brokenheartedness, that's where condemnation grows. That's the soil where condemnation grows. But if we will allow God to have full access and we'll give him access to our will and we'll give him access to our works. My, my, my. Look what he did in Saul of Tarsus. (laughs) Could it be that there's some compartments in our life? Maybe it's part of your will. Maybe it's part of your works that you could stand to give God some more access to, maybe complete access to tonight, and just release him to do everything that he wants to do? Can we just, we, we, we started in an honest song today. Can we just have an honest moment and say, God, there's some more that you can do in my life. Can we lift up our hands all over this place right now and pray to that end? This is a vital topic. This is something that we need to understand, but we need to be living it out. And if we will live it out, there's no, there's no limit. There's no limit. There is no limit to what God will do in you and through you. Can we lift up our voices toward heaven right now and just cry out and say, God, here I am. Come on, right now, there's a creative and restorative work. That psalm said, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Rejoice to, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Come on, somebody, if you don't have any other words to say, maybe you use those words and say, God, create in me something new, something clean, something that's pleasing to you.